0: Continue on in chapter 3, but we're not going to start at the beginning. Uh, we're going to start in uh, 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 22. And this is something that Peter knows how to do really well. This is sharing the gospel. So here we go. Uh, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, He went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, verses 19 through 20, it says here, after, after being made alive, he, Jesus went in the spirit and made proclamation, and he's referencing making proclamation in the time of Noah, right? Which uh, there's a, there are many different, we're not going to get hung up on this. This is not the whole message today, but just for context, there's some different interpretations. Some some scholars think that he was in the spirit going and speaking to those same spirits that were influencing uh, all, the, all of the behaviors in humans that would cause God to have to release the flood, right? In the time of Noah. So he's speaking to these spirits saying, you see what's going on? You are defeated before he ascended. Um, now there's other interpretations. Maybe he's going and speaking to souls that were still sort of there and waiting for him to, to ascend and all of that. I think The the key point, it's really easy to get hung up on specific words. I think the key point here in verses 19 19 and 20 is that Jesus is Lord of all, of all times. So by referencing here that he, in the spirit, he went back and he was speaking to things that were happening in the days of Noah. Jesus in the spirit is outside of time, right? He doesn't have to punch the clock like we do to go through our lives. In the spirit, Jesus is like, and I've said this before, like Jesus is actually he's here with you in the present. He's also right now with you in your past. He's with you in your future because he is in the spirit and the spirit knows no time nor distance. So in a weird weird but kind of cool way, you can actually receive healing. You can receive restoration from things of the past by calling upon Jesus and saying, God, would you heal that? Because he's there. He can heal that. And you can move forward and receive healing. He can, he can bring clarity for things that are coming up in your future because he's already there. So this is just a, a really interesting way of looking at this. And now, Jesus is Lord of all. All times, all people, all realms, all spiritual beings. And he extends his saving grace to all. And all means all. All. Nobody's excluded. He extends his saving grace to all. But what, for the purposes of today's message, I think, uh, I, I think it's helpful to condense these two and a half verses from this page, uh, from this passage. So we're going to read 1 Peter 3, 18, and then 21 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive in the spirit. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Now, this is something that is at the core of Peter's being, his spiritual makeup, this revelation, this declaration. And and if we look back to Matthew chapter 16, we find that what he's just writing in 1 Peter 3 is the revelation that he got in Matthew 16. It's still what's driving him. We're going to go to Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, really quickly. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, um, and I'm almost positive that's how you pronounce that. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So they replied, some say that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? So Simon Peter, of course answers, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. It was revealed to you by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this moment in Matthew 16 is the revelation that he's gotten of who Jesus is. And it's the moment where Jesus prophetically gives Simon his new name. He calls him the rock. Not that one. Not that one. Um, But he calls him the rock. It's It's not a reference, this is important, it's not a reference to how strong and solid and secure Simon has been up to this point. It's not a reference to who Simon is right now. It's a reference to who Simon is being made into, right? It's it's not saying Peter or Simon, you are the rock. You're so solid. I can depend on you all the time. You never do anything weird. You never mess anything up. He's not saying that. He's saying You are open to receive a revelation of who I am, and in receiving that revelation, I'm going to tell you who you are. Here's your identity. The revelation is what what he is known by, right? Uh, He's been a bit of an unpredictable mess, and he's going to continue to be so, but his name, Peter, isn't a reference to his personality, his character. It's a reference to his revelation of Jesus, and in finding out who Jesus is, we find out who we are. And that's the spiritual principle at work here. So God builds his church on that revelation in each of our lives. Right? So you know when we talk about God building a church, you know we're talking about him building something in you. Right? We're not, when we say God is building the church, we're not talking about this building. This building is going to come and go right? Uh, Give it enough time and enough weather, and this will just be gone. But what God is building, his church that he's building, is in you. And that that church that he's building is on the revelation of who Jesus is. It's the revelation of who Jesus is. He's fully God. He's fully human. He's the son of God who, who was sent to save us all from ourselves. And so Peter... Like the rest of us, we don't find our identity in who we think we are or who we think we're not. We find our identity in who it has been revealed to us that Jesus is. That's how we find out who we are. Jennifer mentioned that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus by adoption. We are sons and daughters of God by adoption, and because of that, all the authority that he has, we carry as well, and we can do things like declare that heaven and earth uh, meet, and that the will of God be done here on earth. As he mentioned, it's whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's an identity that we grow into, not because we think about it, not because we try to do it, but because we give ourselves over to Jesus. We give ourselves over to it, and we stop trying to do stuff, and instead we just allow him to tell us who we are, and then we become that. It's very counter to the way that we always want to do things. We always want to work more, do more, strive more, so that we can become something. And Jesus is saying, you become something when you let go of all of that and you just start operating as I've designed you. But because it runs counter to the way that we think, as Jesus was telling Peter in Matthew 16, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. So like today, I'm talking about you becoming, and me becoming, uh, who we really were created to be in the spirit by giving ourselves over to Jesus. I'm talking about that but if any of that's going to happen in your life, it's not gonna be, come because I use the right phrasing. It's not gonna happen because of anything that I do physically. If you receive that, if you get stirred up for that and, and your eyes are opened to who God created you to be and what he's called you to become, it's only because the Holy Spirit is doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It was that way with Simon, When he got the revelation, Jesus said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but it's my Father in heaven. It's the Holy Spirit that revealed this to you. People couldn't even dream this up. And people, if they dreamed it up, couldn't make it happen. It's only the Holy Spirit. And it's that same way with us. So this revelation only comes by a working of the Holy Spirit. And there's two things that happen when we give ourselves over, when we welcome in the Spirit of God and we say, have your way. Two things happen in us First thing, the Spirit transforms our minds. We have a lot of thoughts and a lot of noise going on in our head all the time. Or Maybe that's just me. Hopefully that, I mean, Hopefully it is just me and it's not you, but it's probably you too. We have a lot of stuff going on in our heads because we're always trying to figure things out. Our minds are so focused on this world. But when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us and we let go of that a little bit, he begins to speak. He begins to transform. The Holy Spirit transforms our mind, which allows us to perceive the world like Jesus did. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in our minds. Romans 12 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the Holy Spirit, as we invite Him in, transforms our mind so that we begin to perceive the world not as humans, but as Jesus did. We see things going on through the lens of the kingdom. We see people through the lens of the kingdom and not through the lens of just the way that our human minds view things, right? So the Spirit transforms our minds. The Spirit also transforms our hearts, transforms our minds so we can perceive the world as Jesus does. He transforms our hearts so that we can relate to the world like Jesus does. I get all sorts of bent out of shape about a lot of things in the natural. I get grumpy. I get, you know, judgmental. I get, I get dismissive. And, and the Holy Spirit working in my life changes my heart so that I can relate to this world the way that Jesus did. It's not enough just to see it like Jesus saw it. You're in this world because God has something for you to do to make a difference here. So we need to relate to the world the way Jesus did. If you want to make a difference, you've got to be different, and Jesus was different in the way that he related to the world. Uh, Matthew 11, 29, and 30, Jesus said, Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Did you know that humility, even though it doesn't seem like it's going to be, humility is the way to find rest for your soul. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. He's not trying to strive and force his way, trying to force God's will to be done. He's just being who God created him to be. And there's rest. For your soul in not trying to make it happen, but giving things over and saying, Lord, your will. Your will. I'm just a vessel. Transform my mind, transform my heart by the Holy Spirit. So we see these things in, in place in First in Peter 3, right? Peter is giving, just like John was in 1 John, Peter's giving instructions to believers. These are people who believe in Jesus already, right? They, they have given their lives over to God already, and he's giving them instructions on how to be a follower of Jesus in a world where not everybody's a follower of Jesus. That's what this is. And so what's important for us to remember is that all of these instructions that he's giving us are impossible to accomplish without the Holy Spirit. All of these instructions. I did not expect a lot of amens on that, because every time you say something is impossible, people are like, oh man. But But all of these instructions he's giving us, and we'll go into a couple of them, are impossible without the working of the Holy Spirit, the inviting of God to move through us. But when we get right back to it, the revelation of who Jesus is is impossible without the Holy Spirit. So in effect, what he's doing, he's he's writing about bringing our life, our conduct of our lives into congruence with the conduct Jesus had when he was living here So our lives, he's trying to bring us into congruence with the conduct of Jesus's life. But really, he's writing about submitting to the Holy Spirit so that our hearts and our minds can be transformed. Because that is how Jesus lived his life. He's writing about submitting to the Holy Spirit. And the things that he's asking us to do run in direct opposition with the things that we want to do. It's no fun whatsoever. So, Over half of chapter three is really just a continuation of what he started talking about in chapter two. Here's a couple of points from chapter two. 1 Peter 2.13, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. 2.16, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. 1 Peter 2.17, show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. So he's talking in chapter two for about half of it, about submitting to others in humility. Man, that's hard to do, especially when they're wrong. Especially when they don't see things the way I do is what I meant to say. Uh, it's, it's, It's so hard. It feels so hard for us because pride wells up. We want to be right We want to be appreciated. We want to be given accolades. We want want everything to go our way and for everyone to know that it's going our way. We want to be the center. But starting in chapter two, he starts talking about, no, no, no. You gotta squash that. You've got to approach everyone with humility. And at the very beginning of chapter three, it gets really sticky because he starts talking about the marriage relationship. Here we go. All right, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as, his words, not mine, as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, so we're not going to camp out here on a whole, you know, man, woman, husband, wife, submit, I'm not going to talk about a bunch of stuff that's going to get you in an argument on your way home, all right? But I do want us to take a look when we're, when we're reading things, especially things that are challenging, to step away from reading them as culture, uh, like our culture, and read them as kingdom, right? And I'll tell you what I mean by that. Um, if we step out of, like, our modern culture, culture is the ways of people. The words have meaning to us because we've given these meanings to these words, right? Submit is sometimes a bad word, right? That's, uh, or telling telling women to call their husband Lord is a bad thing to do. You don't have to do that. <laughs> She's like, good, huh? Don't Hope you weren't expecting that. Um, and then, you know, so... He's getting, he's getting a little bit more personal. He's been talking about submitting yourselves to authorities out there when you're at the job, when you're in your government you know, setting, when there's a king telling you to do something. But now he's making it very personal. And he's talking about submitting. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. Now, we've got to understand here that, that what he's talking about, is, you know, especially with the husbands, is revolutionary at the time. He's... He's saying, be considerate, treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Now, I think it's really interesting. He's not saying women are the weaker partner. He's saying, them, he's saying treat them with care, with consideration, as though, imagine that they were weaker, right? And, and, and he's, what, he's, what he's doing here is he's saying to men who know that legally and culturally in that time period, Women don't have the same clout, right? And he's saying to you, men, remember that your wife is an heir with you of the gracious gift. And you need to treat her as such because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. And that's revolutionary at the time, right? It's actually, you know, and, and it's, it's unfortunately... It, I think it's revolutionary to some people right now. Verses one through six are reminding us, number one, the power of what we have to minister. When he's, he's talking with, uh, about adorning yourselves, not with this or that, but you know, let the things that, let your quiet spirit be something that draws people to the Lord. Verses one through six are reminding us that the power of what we have to minister to others doesn't come from our presentation. It comes from the spirit living within us. And that's, he's talking about wives and husbands, but that's for all of us. That's for me up here right now. That's for all of us. The power of what you have to minister doesn't come from looking the right way or saying the right words or presenting yourself in such a way that you're accepted by society in some way. The power of what you have to minister is inside. It's the Holy Spirit within you. And you don't even need to say anything in order for God to move through you, right? You can but it's not a requirement. He can do with your obedience anything that he wants to do in this world. Yeah. All right? So it's the spirit dwelling inside of us that is the power. Also in verses one through six, he's talking about a lot of our relationships are gonna be with those who either aren't receptive to the word or they're not capable of receiving it yet. So our responsibility is to be like Jesus, to be an example of the word. Jesus was the word made flesh. So people, even if they weren't gonna to listen to what he was gonna say, they could see how he was living and they would notice, oh, there's something different in operation here. I'm curious about that, right? So our responsibility is to be like Jesus so that even people who won't hear it will have the possibility of seeing in action and therefore the possibility of being changed. So verse seven, when he's talking about husbands, reminds us, all of us who are in Christ are joint heirs. We are all equal. We are all capable. We are all important to God as his sons and daughters. And to discount another member of the body is to disobey God himself. To undermine or to discount or to dismiss another member of the body as being lesser than you is disobeying God himself. That's powerful stuff. And when we, when we look at What Peter's saying, we talk about it being about the hearts of all people. It changes the way that we can see these verses. And through all these passages, he's reminding us too that no matter who you are, you can have influence to lead people to Christ. Even if you're not top dog in that particular environment. Even if you don't get a chance to say anything. Your obedience opens doors for Jesus to be able to minister to people. Your obedience opens doors for people to receive the love of God. Your obedience and your following of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to get into verse uh, verse 8 because he does now expand the focus a little bit. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter's laying out a code of conduct for us that requires and demands that we respond to Jesus and not respond to people. That we respond to Jesus and respond like Jesus and not respond to the circumstance. Very, very hard to do without the Holy Spirit reminding you of everything Jesus ever said, molding your heart to be more like his, transforming your mind so that you can see things the way he sees them. Peter's asking us to respond in all situations, to love those who don't love us, to show respect and honor and submission to those who wouldn't do that for us. But that is what Jesus did because Jesus was motivated, moved, given over to the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens in someone's life when you are uh, spirit-led, spirit-filled. Really quickly, a couple of other thing, possible things that Peter's asking us to do. Um, in, the, in the following verses, I'm not gonna read them all out, but he, he asks us all to be, to be of one mind. Have you ever tried even just to get like four people in one mind? <laughs> Like, that's, that's hard. That's hard. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's right or everybody's wrong, depending on who you are in the group. Um, but, ev- but everybody comes in with their own history, their own baggage, their own ideas, their own paradigms, their own hangups. Being of one mind with, I mean, those of you who are married, being of one mind with just one other person is hard sometimes. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit. It runs contrary to everything that we want to do, everything that we think is right. Uh, Romans 15, five through seven. says, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, be in one mind with people, takes endurance and encouragement. May he give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Another impossible thing he's asking us to do is to bless those who oppose us, to bless those who oppose us. In verse nine, he said, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. What he's saying is if you don't bless those who oppose you, you can't expect to receive a blessing. It comes, the gate for that is opened because You choose to bless those who oppose you. We want to receive the inheritance that Jesus gave us. We need to respond like Jesus responded. When people opposed him, he blessed them. When people crucified him, he forgave them. When people opposed him, he just, he gave it to the Father. And he said, I love you, I bless you, one day you will see where I'm coming from. One day, the Spirit will speak to you. First Peter 3.9, don't be, repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. This runs counter to our human nature and it requires faith. It requires faith to bless people who don't seem like to us they deserve it at the moment. To be a blessing requires faith. But Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So it's kind of important, kind of important. And so Peter then brings it back to verses 18 through 22, and he points back to Jesus as our example of living a life that's led by the Spirit, responding to the Holy Spirit instead of responding to the human world that doesn't understand Him. And that's our task. That's our task. I used to teach uh, uh, in high school, I used to teach this class called uh, Teen Leadership, The very first lesson in this class that comes up again and again and again and again and again uh, and, and became transformative for some of these students that I had over the course of a semester or a year, we talk about things that you're in control of and things that you're not in control of. And in this lesson, I would tell students, you are only in control of three things in your life, only three. Everything else is entirely out of your hands. You control three things and then I would ask him, what do you think those three things are? And that would, I got great answers. Not a lot of right answers, but I got great answers. <laughs> very, very vehement and passionate answers. But it's really simple. You are in control. And this is what Peter's telling us. You're in control of three things in your life. You're in control of your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions. Everything else is out of your hands. No matter how much you may want to control it, no matter how better it would be if you could just take that and just make it happen, that is not for you. You're in control of your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions. See, you ever heard that phrase, thoughts become things? 2 Corinthians 10.5 uh, says, we tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Thoughts become things, the thoughts that we choose to embrace. Those become our guiding paradigms, which we call attitudes. If I hold certain thoughts, then eventually those thoughts are gonna become attitudes. If I hold certain attitudes, those attitudes are gonna become actions. So everything that I do is ultimately an extension of the things I've been thinking about. You are in control of three things, your thoughts, your attitudes, and actions. When we live out Second Corinthians ten five and we bring our thoughts to Jesus, we just capture him right there and say, Jesus, take care of this, heal this, tell me if this is right or not, guide me in these thoughts. Um, we can also live out Romans twelve two, and we can allow our minds to be transformed by the Spirit. But we have to present those things to the Lord. So when we choose to be led by the spirit we stop submitting to the control of the world and its circumstances and we instead we glorify God